0: In one of last week's episodes, we talked about mental health challenges that entrepreneurs tend to face. And there's an element that didn't occur to me while we were recording that episode, but has been an ongoing frustration and challenge for me, especially as an online digital marketing type of entrepreneur. And I think this is actually something that applies to a lot of people, even if they don't consider themselves to be entrepreneurs, because... It can come up in ways for us whenever we're in certain positions of our career, in our work. And I also think this could pertain to relationships and many different facets of life. And this is the self-pressure or the perceived pressure to feel valued, respected, important, and taken seriously, I suppose. And for me, that's been manifesting an interesting way that I was pausing to reflect on because I got very triggered a few times the past week. And it's come up. And I know that you face this too, Jason. And we've touched upon this in episodes, but I felt like it's worth addressing again and like digging in deeper to maybe sharing some more specific experiences. So for me, this has shown up recently with the barrage of emails that I get from brands who want to work with me, as I I think I mentioned in last week's episode too, which sounds like a really great thing, but it comes with a lot of interesting pressure for me. It comes with some fascinating experiences. Now, for me specifically, this comes up most often in the influencer content creator context. So I'm going to speak about that from my experience. But again, if you're not an influencer or content creator, I think that you can still relate to this on some level. One huge issue that I see in this industry is that we're in this weird like, gray area time. Some people have referred to it as the Wild West, where there aren't a ton of rules... And people are just kind of flying by the seat of their pants, making things up as they go. And so that certainly won't be true of every industry. However, I feel like the world often feels like it's going through fluctuations and changes and transitions, especially given that there's so much in flux throughout the world right now with more serious issues that tends to kind of trickle down (laughs) into people's behavior and the treatment of others and their communication and their expectations. And and that's why I believe that this can be quite universal. As a content creator who's either being approached by brands who want to partner together or approaching brands that I would like to partner with, what comes up is a regular occurrence of feeling like I need to prove myself and my value. And sometimes that is in the case of people wanting to know how many followers I have, which is, it's so cringy for me. And I feel like most people can relate or even like from a secondhand relation to this because follower accounts are such a known thing. So if you don't care about follower accounts, you at least know that a lot of people do, right? Like even people that don't consider themselves influencers or content creators, We'll fixate on these numbers. And it's disturbing to me because it feels so superficial. It doesn't feel like it has as much meaning as it did in the beginning, given that when I first started using social media, it felt like people would follow you because they were truly interested in you. They were interested in who you were as a person and what you had to say. Now... Those numbers don't quite reflect that all the time because you can buy followers, as we've talked a lot about in the past. It's a huge, beyond a pet peeve, I guess, irritation, frustration that Jason and I share. And neither one of us, wait a second, I can't remember if you've ever done that, Jason. Have you ever bought followers or likes?
1: Yeah, I actually did it once as an experiment. When you and I were talking about this, Like, this must have been like seven years ago or something. I went on just to see if it was right around the time when we first started talking about it. I'm like, I want to see if this works. So full transparency, I went on to, I think, idigic.com, and I bought a 1,000 followers back in like 2014 to see if it would work, and it worked. So truth be told, I have at one time, out of experimentation's sake, bought 1,000 followers on my Instagram page. So if you're there and you're like, oh, j Row well, I know a thousand of your, whatever, 36,000 followers are fake. Well, yeah, I guess they are. So
0: if they're still there's, there, I there's mean, the transparency
1: knows? if those bots still exist, right? Cause they're right. bots. They're not actual people.
0: Yeah. Who knows? I mean, it's such a bizarre thing and this is what I mean. It feels so like icky and superficial to just vet people based on those type of metrics, but it happens all of the time. And it happened to me earlier today. It happened to me a few days ago. And it just made me feel a bit sick to my stomach. Because in these two instances, people were basically saying, we will give you blank if you have X amount of followers or whatever our minimum threshold is. And one of the occurrence was a brand that I reached out to, And I was interested in their product. It was a $40 blender. I won't mention the brand, but it's a portable blender. Really cool. I've used them before. I don't have one of my own. And I thought, great. Like I have an upcoming trip. Or by the time you listen to this, I've already done part of my trip. And it felt like a great partnership because I'm creating some content. And as a content creator slash influencer, whatever you want to call us, We often do partnerships like an exchange where somebody will give us products and sometimes we'll get paid as a sponsor. And and this episode is actually sponsored by a wonderful brand called Embody Me, which we'll talk about. We've spoken a lot about recently. We'll get into that later. That's a great example of a positive outcome where the one I'm currently speaking of is not quite the same. So you can apply for this brand to be a quote ambassador for them. And one of the things they'll do is they'll send you their blender, which is $40, right? And I applied just to see, but there was a couple of things that rubbed me the wrong way. One is that in their contract, this drives me up the wall. In their contract, they have you agree to give them usage rights to your content. So if you post a photo or a video about them, or maybe even a podcast They have the rights to take that content and put it on their own social media channels or even use it in their advertising. And I remember stopping and thinking, like in general, I don't usually sign paperwork like that. But I thought, you know what? Maybe if they accept me into this program, I'll see if I can negotiate that out and feel it out. You know, it depends on some factors. And then I applied and they're like, okay, great, we'll be in touch. And like a week or so went by and I followed up. And they sent me back some automated message like, thanks so much for applying. We love the content that you're doing, but you don't meet our follower thresholds. And I was like, for a $40 blender, I don't meet your follower thresholds. So I followed up and I said, hey, you know, what are your minimums? Because in my head, I'm thinking, not to like sound in my ego, but collectively, I feel like I probably would meet their thresholds. So I thought maybe there was some confusion. And I wrote back and they responded to me, well, we measure people in a variety of different factors. So we welcome you to apply in 60 days. And I was like, wait a second, you're not giving me any information. You're telling me that I don't currently meet whatever standards you have, but you won't tell me what those standards are, but you still are encouraging me to apply again in 60 days. What's going to change in 60 days, first of all? And it was just this icky feeling And I just felt like so triggered by it because it's again, like it reminded me of online dating where like somebody swipes through your profile. And if you don't meet their standards, they're not even going to give your personality a chance. Right. So that's where I know a lot of people can relate to this. It's when you apply for a job online and you know that you would be phenomenal in that position, but they just look at your resume. And determine like whether or not you meet some weird standards that they have, right? These kind of like automated systems that have been created to try to guess whether somebody is a good fit. But meanwhile, they filter out people that might be a better fit than others based on their superficial metrics, right? And... This is an ongoing thing. And then earlier today, Jason, it happened again. This one website that I've been on for a year or so that connects people from the press and the media with brands. And it's a phenomenal website. There was like some weird glitch in their system. And I, or at least something changed, and I wasn't able to access it in quite the same way. And I thought something was broken. So I emailed them, and it took them weeks to get back to me. And lo and behold, it turns out that they limited my access to the system because they started a new qualification thing and they needed me to reapply. And they asked me what my metrics were again in order to reapply. And I was like, what? Like I'm already part of this system. I've been working happily with these companies and now I have to reapply to see if I'm still valuable enough based on the current standards. And I found myself trying to like prove my worthiness in this response to them like a reapplication and I'm like pulling up my metrics and trying to like craft it in a way and I was like this feels really weird. And it's something ongoing that I've struggled with in that like any time when someone feels like I have to prove myself. And it's such an unpleasant thing because deep down I just want to be accepted as I am and I want people to You know how when you connect with someone, sometimes it only takes a few minutes for them to like you, appreciate you, respect you. Like they can tell. They can tell about like there's an energy basically, right? Like you don't have to prove yourself to that person. They just immediately resonate with you. And then sometimes there are people where maybe you need to spend a little bit more time with them so they can see who you really are. Maybe they're more guarded. Maybe they want to spend more time and get to know the depths of who you are. And then there's kind of like the opposite where you meet people and maybe they like you right away, but almost like a little too fast. And oftentimes that's based on things like how you look or what you do or who you're with, who you're associated with, right? And we've talked about this in the past, like credentials and things like this and that uncomfortable thing when you go to like a party or an event of some sort and somebody immediately wants to know what you do. Because that's part of their way of assessing out whether you're worth talking to. And then if you tell them what you do and it doesn't resonate with them, it, a lot of times they'll kind of like end the conversation pretty quickly and you'll like see them go talking to someone else. And I've had so many of these various experiences over time from online dating to business networking to applying for jobs to working with brands as a content creator that a lot of it just starts to make me feel sad and a bit jaded and resentful and like a bit i guess disheartened as a whole at how there's not a lot of times where you have the opportunity to like show up and be seen who you are as a whole person and not picked apart for all of these more superficial elements of what makes you who you are and i think that i'm getting like these triggers because maybe i don't want to be involved with people who are going to have to size me up first. Because I know there's plenty of people, both personally and professionally, who have already decided that they like me, they appreciate me, they respect me, they see my value. I don't have to prove myself to them. I don't have to feel unworthy if they reject me because there's plenty of others who won't reject me and who will accept me. And that's more where I would like to be. And I think, you know, this has impacted me in so many deep ways, Jason, as I've talked about over the past few months, like my struggles with trusting other people and feeling comfortable in social situations. Like maybe some of that is the result of feeling like it's soul-sucking to not know whether or not somebody will see me as who I really am.
1: I think this is challenging, Whitney, for a litany of reasons. I resonate with what you're saying because I have experienced it more, I'd say, in the past five years or so of my career than I did previously. And I think in some ways, it's a microcosm of systems that are already set up and have been running for a while. For example, the paradigm of what we're talking about with social equity, right, with this example you're bringing up, to me, feels structurally very similar to something like a credit system, credit scoring, in the sense that if you play the game quote, the correct way, and you learn the nuances and the ins and outs, oftentimes the hard way of how to boost your score and what factors and what things to pay off and what kind of debts positively affect your score. There's a lot of counterintuitive rules, right? But I think that the point I'm trying to make is there are already so many social systems set up that evaluate our worthiness. They call it even credit worthiness. Think about that for a second. They're already baking in the concept of your worthiness with that system. Oh, are you credit worthy? And if I have this score, then the systems that are in place, the banks, the credit unions, the auto lenders, people handing out mortgages are going to look at me much more favorably as a citizen because of my worthiness based on this score. So in some ways, I just think that social media is is a microcosm of this thing we already have going on. One of the bigger concerning things too, Whitney, on the same sort of level, talking about credit scores and being evaluated on our worth based on social media is the social credit system in China that a lot of people have been talking about. And if you, dear listener, dear watcher, have not heard about this, the Republic of China has created a social credit system that is a set of databases and initiatives, I guess, that monitor and assess the trustworthiness think about this for a second, trust and worth, trustworthiness of individuals, companies, and government entities. Each person is given a social credit score with rewards to those who have a high rating and dig this punishments for those with low scores. So, you know, people are like, oh, it's communist and they're turning people into products and barcodes and numbers. Guess what? We're already fucking doing that in the West. I got a news flash. It might not be as draconian as this social credit score in China, right, where the extremity of having a positive score gets you priority healthcare, or they waive deposits if you're going to rent a place, right? If you have a high enough score, they waive a deposit, they give you better healthcare. If you have a low score, you can get banned from planes, flights, and trains. You can get banned from transportation. Now, I understand it sounds more extreme, but the metrics of how human beings are being turned into line items on a spreadsheet or line items in an algorithm saying, you're worthy of money, you're worthy of credit, you're worthy of better healthcare, better access to public services. And if we deem you not worthy, we're going to ban you from being able to buy a house, therefore building your wealth. We're not going to give you access to credit cards. We're not going to give you in terms of China, even access to transportation. So- what I reflect on Whitney is like, if we want to be members of modern society, regardless of what country we're in, I don't know that there's going to be a way around this because it seems like this sort of mentality is infecting so many systems of our modern culture. And it's maddening because on the one hand, if you zoom out and take a bird's eye view, like you were saying, it's okay. I as a being am not my fucking credit score. I'm not my bank account. I'm not my social media metrics. I'm not this social credit score that you evaluate my, quote, trustworthiness based on arbitrary metrics of what? I mean, it's maddening because we're being reduced to that. But the question I sit with is, what can we do? If we're going to be in society, I don't know that we're going to get around these systems. And how do we anchor moreover? How do we anchor in our own sense of self-worth, our own sense of beingness, even if these systems say that we are not?
0: Yeah, it's a fascinating thing to ponder because I also think about the times when it works to our advantage. Like, if you are good at playing your cards right, working the system, you get a lot of perks. You know, like when you raise your credit score, you get perks. When you have the right credit card, you literally get perks from it. When you do enough, to please someone maybe they give you bonuses when you can grow your followers i mean i've looked at some of my friends in the influencer marketing world and how they've had access to things because of their higher numbers and how some or many of them are very strategic about it and very focused on it and it's because it gives them access and it gives them more money and that is great. And I've also worked to try to raise these things over time. But I guess in the past, I didn't quite feel like it was working in the way I wanted it to. But maybe I've just had this internal resistance to that system because I would rather be appreciated and valued by a few people than a lot of people who just see me as a superficial thing to regard you know it's like the reason that i don't prioritize my appearance because it's just not important to me as i've said before the energy that i would spend the money that i would spend trying to get camera ready or whatever ready all the time especially given the amount of videos that we've been making on for the show and the other things that i do online to me that would drain me of the energy that i could better spend focused on my research and my preparation and my speaking, and those are where my value is. We've also talked about how we could go to a ton of parties. I think we mentioned this in last week's episode, how we could spend our time networking, schmoozing, and whatever else, but I also know that would drain me. Those things, I would feel the need to prepare. I would want to have a nice outfit, which might require me to go shopping and spend money, time, and energy. It would require me to spend some time getting ready. I mean, typically 30 minutes to an hour, getting ready, taking a shower, doing my hair, putting on my makeup. So before I've even left my place, I've spent probably an hour minimum getting ready and then transporting there, which takes more time and energy and money, and then going there and engaging with all of these people without any guarantee and then leaving and hoping that something comes out of it. When, what if instead I stayed at home, <laughs> which is where I would prefer to be in most cases, and used my energy to do something more with my inherent talents and skills and brain power and all of those things, right? And I've thought about this a lot in terms of women. As a woman, it's really interesting because it feels like a daily reflection for me about observing other women and the pressure and the marketing and all of the things that women have been conditioned to do. You know, we are encouraged to be mothers. What if you don't want to be a mother? Well, you still feel pressure to be one and question yourself and it becomes incredibly confusing if you're not sure. What if you become a mother and realize that's not actually what you wanted to do, but you did it because of all the pressure, right? There's pressure to be in relationships. So do you just pick a relationship and stay settled in it, right? There's also pressure to appear a certain way. There's pressure to look young. And all of the things that go into looking young, even when you don't, quote, fall into the categories of what are considered young in our society, then there's even more time and energy that you have to put into your appearance just to pretend that you're younger than you are. Or maybe you don't fit into the cultural standards of beauty so you feel like you have to spend a lot more time, energy and money on changing your appearance to fit in because of all the pressure and the fears that if you don't look a certain way that you won't be accepted as a woman, you won't be valued as a woman. There's the constant questions about whether you need to be overtly sexual in your appearance and your behavior and all of that in order to feel value. There's so many things that show up in my life on a daily basis that I feel like I'm rebelling against. But yet this fear that if I rebel against it, that I will be cast out at some point. And I feel like that lays in some of the anxiety that I feel. And then when that shows up in social media and wondering, would my numbers be higher if I took more selfies? Would my numbers be higher if I took more time on my appearance? Would my numbers be higher if I spent more time crafting content, networking with people? Would my numbers be higher? Maybe I would just buy them and spend money on it and fake it all. You know, on and all of these things, and ultimately comes down to trying to please all of these people. But ultimately, isn't it about pleasing ourselves? And this conversation reminds me of something that really triggered me yesterday. I sent this to you, Jason. I saw this clip from a Fox News segment. And, you know, I don't see Fox as like this evil, (laughs) or Fox News, I should say. I think people that are liberal or democratic, like have a lot of judgments around Fox. And I certainly feel a little hesitant based on my political views and overall lifestyle. And I can see why some people feel that way. But to me, I'm open-minded. I've actually found value on Fox news. And I've even been on a Fox news show years ago and had a pleasant time, but I saw this clip and it was like a gut punch. And it also felt like it addressed a lot of these questions and made more sense to me. There's these two people speaking who are very wealthy individuals. I don't remember their names because I don't pay that much attention to those type of people. But I can link to this TikTok clip. It was somebody commenting on this Fox News clip on TikTok. So I will link to that if you want to see it. But two very wealthy people talking about their opinions on unemployment and their opinions on how or when somebody should qualify for unemployment and saying all of these judgmental things about people being lazy and not working hard enough or not being willing to work. And then they brought up the topic of self-care. And it was really interesting because yesterday we recorded an episode about Embody Me, who's our sponsor. And we spent the whole episode talking about self-care for entrepreneurs, right? So if you haven't listened to that episode yet, we get into depth and we share this blog post from our wonderful sponsor, Embody Me, which is a virtual wellness platform. And their big focus is on entrepreneurs right now, especially female entrepreneurs, and how to support them through all of the challenges that come along with being an entrepreneur. And I just think it's amazing and valuable. And they're prioritizing self-care. And when we were talking about that in the recording, Jason, I was thinking, like, wow, this is so great. Yes, entrepreneurs need to take good care of themselves. That's how they're going to thrive. And then in this Fox News segment, they were actually mocking people that prioritize their self care. And I was like absolutely shocked and also fascinated by this viewpoint that self care is bad that these people shouldn't take time off for themselves, that they should be willing to work themselves to the bone even if their mental health is suffering. I was like floored and just shocked that anybody could think that way. And then suddenly, Jason, it was like these light bulbs went off for me. That given in the United States that approximately half of the country is Republican, right? I believe based on the recent election, and the numbers there, it's pretty split. It's possible that half of the people in this country, and I'm sure many more people overseas, truly believe that we shouldn't take time off for ourselves, that it's not okay to take uh, time off and not work, that it's not okay that we need to prioritize our well-being over our work, that the unemployment benefit should not be as available to others. That people are lazy if they don't go get a job. And in the comment sections, I was reading some reactions to this and some people were agreeing with it and other people were saying, well, that's because in our society, people are not being paid very well for their value. They don't want to go to a job where they have to work themselves to the bone and make $12 an hour. And I was like, exactly. And who is this woman who had millions of dollars? And clearly was successful and established in establishing her career. Who was she to make those comments? And then she starts talking about millennials, that standard millennial viewpoint, as if millennials are all lazy or all self centered. And I don't know why it came to such a surprise. I think that the point that she made about self care was just like beyond comprehension for me. And I wondered, wow, does that mean that this woman does not prioritize her self care? Like, truly. Does this woman take any breaks? Does she take vacations? Does she spend time with her family and loved ones? Does she take care of her body? And I imagine, based on the way she looks, that this woman probably does take care of herself. She was an older woman that looked phenomenal. So clearly, she's spending time on her hair and her makeup and her body, likely. I doubt that she just rolls out of bed in good shape. I doubt she rolls out of bed with perfect skin. She probably drinks a lot of water. Hey, that's self-care. She probably eats well. That's self-care. She probably spends a lot of money on body and beauty treatments. Wouldn't that fall into the self-care category? But then maybe in her mind that if you take any time for yourself outside of work, that is not okay. And maybe she's implying that if people get burnt out and have mental health issues that prevent them from working, it's not okay for them to collect unemployment. And I'm really curious how you're feeling about this, Jason. And, and ultimately, it ties into this conversation of like, this woman just felt like she wanted us to be these machines that can't ever stop, that need to just be the cogs in the wheel, that if we choose to stop and take care of ourselves and prioritize ourselves then we are lazy and unworthy. And boy, did that fire me up. How did you feel when you saw that clip, Jason?
1: Well, I felt a lot of things. I felt not surprised because if we look at how laws and policies are structured to benefit massive multinational corporations. I'll give an example which was interesting. The same, I don't know if it was the same day, same 24 hour period that you sent me this clip from Fox News which I want to get to one comment that stood out to me in that video in a second. But the same 24-hour period, I sent you a video from Sarah Silverman's podcast, which I've been listening to and is phenomenal. So shout out to Sarah Silverman. I love her tone. She's totally unfiltered on her podcast. I mean, it's just raw to the point. She's giving zero fucks. It's fantastic. On her podcast, this clip I sent you, Whitney, she was talking about the Walton family who owns Walmart. And how the children, because Sam Walton passed away years ago, the children right now, I believe the matriarch of the family now is his daughter, Christy Walton. And Sarah Silverman was saying in this clip that she's worth $61 billion. Now, mind you, there are multiple Walton children, right? They're all billionaires, multi-billionaires, but Christy Walton, I guess, is the highest. She's sixty-one billion, second richest woman in the world right now. And I didn't know this, Whitney, but she went on to detail the compensation structure that They pay their employees the federal minimum wage, which I don't know if you want to look that up while I'm saying this, but I think the federal minimum wage for covered non-exempt employees is $7 and 25 cents an hour. That's our federal minimum wage. Okay. She said the way that Walmart has their employee relations structured is they encourage their employees to enroll in government assistance programs. Now, where do the funds for government assistance programs come from? Like food stamps, things like that well, they come from taxpayers. So her point was they're so cheap, the Walton family, that in order for their employees to subsist on what they're being paid as Walmart employees, they have to rely on government programs that we pay them as United States taxpayers. So we are paying the wages of a private fucking corporation, just to frame that real quick, not the wages, but the assistance, let me be more accurate, so that they can have the means to live. So- when I hear people on Fox News who are multimillionaires, these two people, and one of them says, yeah, well, you know, in the military, when we train military dogs, we only feed them at the end of the day. This one guy was going on. He said, we only feed them at the end of the day because a hungry dog is an obedient dog. Using that as an analogy for humanity, that if someone is starving, they're more obedient. Like he compared starving dogs for military training to how he believes we should regard workers in the United States. I mean, to me, that was the moment, Whitney, in that video where I went, oh, how many people in this world have a similar viewpoint to him? That if we make people desperate enough, hungry enough, they'll be obedient. That scares the shit out of me to think how many people in the elite ruling class, millionaires and billionaires, think the same thing. And I'd venture to say probably a lot because they're relying on underpaid, overworked, human effort to build their empires with very few exceptions. They resist uh, unionization. All we need to do is look at Amazon. And I know you're a fan of Elon. I am too. But his resistance to unionizing at the Tesla auto plants, I think is pretty fucked. And essentially, what is it? Let's take the power away from the working class. Let's make them as desperate as possible so they will continue to be robots for us, or shall I say, hungry dogs. That was the part that really got to me.
0: This all is really interesting because part of me feels like in general that I don't want to like be someone who takes sides. I don't want to like shame someone for their choices. I think whatever your work ethic is, fine if it applies to you in your life, right? Like I don't like it when people judge my work ethic when like it doesn't really matter to them if that makes sense, right? That's a trigger for me. I guess maybe like in this Fox News segment that they're feeling threatened because our tax dollars are going towards unemployment and maybe some people feel it's unfair. Like perhaps that's the viewpoint. It's like, well, how come I have to do all this work and this person can just sit at home and collect unemployment? And certainly there are going to be people who take advantage of those systems, And certainly, some people work harder than others. And I can relate to that sentiment as well. Like, it does suck when things feel unfair. But the truth is that everybody is very unique in their circumstances. And until, like, I think it does come back around to this conversation about the individual, Jason, because it's like you can look at it at this broad view and all of these, like, things that groups of people do that frustrate us. And I think we try to create systems to make things work better. But clearly in the United States, we have a lot of division here because one side will think that a certain system works. And the other person thinks that the exact opposite system will work. And somehow we all managed to coexist up until now, which is pretty amazing. You know, like we've talked about the pandemic and all these different opinions on that. Who knows? Maybe we will all come faced with a huge like, Moment of needing to come together. We've talked about climate change for the same reason. It's like people have very different opinions and reactions to that. And maybe one day we will be forced to unify because it'll truly be a matter of life or death for us. Or maybe, as you posited a few episodes ago, Jason, maybe all of this division is showing us that we truly cannot work together in a unified way enough to save ourselves. And maybe that's the fate of human beings, right? So I feel a bit conflicted because I understand the desire for us all to be on the same page. But I also, at this point in my life, don't believe that it's worth the energy to try to get everybody up on the same page. I'd much rather just accept people for being different from me. right? But I don't like it when somebody feels like they're different from me and that they want to get me to fit inside a box in order to comply. And I think that's actually... a very possibly a millennial characteristic and a Gen Z characteristic. And one thing I thought when I was watching that Fox News segment and I was like, lady, and by the way, I looked up her name. You can find her name if you look in the TikTok video. I'm not going to say it out loud for SEO purposes. (laughs) I don't want to bring any attention to her and the other guy that she was speaking with because I really don't agree with what she was saying. But I was like, listen, back to your point, Jason. I'm like, millennials and Gen Zs, will not stand for that shit. Like We are rising up in power, I think, as millennials get older and become bosses and more in charge. I mean, you look at someone like Mark Zuckerberg, I'm not sure. He might fall into a Gen X category. He might be on the cusp somewhere. But look at him. Look at the power Mark Zuckerberg has. Like, Like him or not, he's a very powerful young man, and he has influenced the world in huge ways. And millennials and Gen Z and younger, of course, they're going to take over at a point. And I wonder sometimes if some boomers and older Gen Xers are feeling incredibly threatened by this. Are they threatened by the fact that people actually want to take time off for themselves and prioritize themselves? And you know, reflecting back to the conversation we had in the last episode and how that was all sparked by our sponsor, Embody Me, what's interesting about Embody Me is that They talk about overwhelm. They talk about unworthiness, feeling trapped by limited beliefs, not feeling like we have enough time to take care of ourselves because we're hustling too hard from our businesses. That's literally a statement that Embody Me addresses in their virtual classes. And I just think that's so important because I know enough about marketing to recognize that the reason Embody Me exists is because this is a problem. If you would like to go listen to our episode with the founder, Amber, we did this at this point like a week and a half ago. It is episode 272. And that came out at the beginning of September, actually September 3rd, to be precise. And in that, Amber talks about the evolution of her journey. And I'm amazed by it, like how far that she has come. And she is a young woman who has done extraordinary things so far and is just on track for greatness, in my opinion. And the fact that she has been noticing how many female entrepreneurs or feminine, I should say, they don't have to be gender specific, but more feminine and energetically types are feeling like they don't have enough time to take care of themselves because they're hustling too hard and they're struggling with unworthiness. That's why she started embodying me. So who is this Fox News woman to like act as if that's not an issue? (laughs) What are we going to sweep under the rug that people feel like they don't have enough time for themselves, but they desperately want to, that people feel unworthy because they're spending way too much time trying to prove themselves and to hustle? That is not sustainable. So it's like if I had a chance to talk to that woman, I'd be like, what evidence do you have that this current method of working ourselves to the bone is even good? Why do we have to live our whole lives striving to be better than we are, than just embracing who we are at the core? What if we created more systems that acknowledge us for us and also learn to be more like human beings instead of looking at others as disposable? You know, like when I mentioned this whole idea of, oh, you're not a fit, you don't meet my standards, whether that's dating or job applications or partnerships or whatever else. I think the reason that it triggers me, Jason, is it's because where is the humanity in that? Now, it's one thing to recognize you're not a fit for something, but I feel like we can acknowledge other people in a different way and when somebody comes to me and is like i'm only going to accept you if you meet my standards it's pretty gross who in this world wants to hear that perhaps a better way is hey we have a, a limited spot here or you know we have certain criteria you know there's like kinder ways to express it now granted it might be the same thing but can or can we create up dis- different systems? I mean, it's a complicated thing. I think it comes down to me, like in the communication, and I see you're, you nodding your head with this, Jason. So, like, I don't know. I don't know what this the answer is to work through this. But for me, I would just love to see other people treat one another with more respect and honoring and recognize that every single person has something to offer and that everybody has got different life experience that leads them to the place that they're at. And we can't just assume that everybody is going to fit neatly into these different categories.
1: I think this brings up a deep consideration when we talk about value. And I think for me, value, it's often used interchangeably with worth, you know, self-worth. But I think in this context, in my mind, Whitney, self-worth and value with the way I'm gonna frame it are different. And when I say that this has been one of the biggest challenges, I don't know about my entire life, but certainly in 11 years of entrepreneurship, I feel like the lens of the microscope around value has been dialed all the way up, right? And I think it's wonderful, again, to talk about Amber Fortier and her platform, Embody Me. They've been a phenomenal sponsor. They have these classes that are all about empowerment and creating a framework of value for yourself. And here's why that's important. If you don't establish a framework of value for yourself, you will leave it to other people to establish what their perception of your value is. Now, on the one hand, you can go, oh, well, well, yeah, I mean, that's what the marketplace will bear. The marketplace will pay whatever it wants for my services. But I think if we don't establish what our value is, It's very easy to get carried away and be, let's just face it, grossly underpaid, grossly undervalued by people who want to hire us for things or clients, et cetera, et cetera. So before we get too deep into this conversation of value, I do want to give you, dear listener, dear watcher, an opportunity to dig deeper into some of these teachings, these frameworks about value, self-worth, caring for ourselves as entrepreneurs and creatives. Embody Me has a deal that we are offering to you. We've talked about it in previous episodes If you go to their website, which is embodyme.live, embodyme.live, you can use the code Wellevator, our brand, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R. And you can use this code to get a free week, seven days to take all the classes you want. And if you really love what you find there as Whitney and I have, you will get 20% off your first month. So if what we're talking about resonates with you, you want more tools around value, self-worth, caring for yourself. They also have great yoga classes, EFT tapping, Whitney did a face yoga class. So it's not only just about the mental frameworks. It's also about caring for the physical body as well. So with that about value, Whitney, I've had so many situations and I actually had a situation during maybe six months into the pandemic where I was going back and forth, trying to negotiate a sponsorship deal with a brand here in Los Angeles. And part of the brand deal was doing YouTube videos, Instagram videos, the standard fare. But beyond that, part of the deal was wanting me to go on QVC and be a brand spokesperson for a segment pitching products on QVC. Now, I've talked to colleagues of ours, acquaintances of ours who've done that kind of thing in the past and found out a range, right? We talk about a framework of value of what brands make on a typical, say, one hour or 90 minute QVC segment. And when I started finding out about how much brands typically make, my mind was blown. So we're talking hundreds of thousands, or in some cases, even millions of dollars in a 60 to 90 minute segment. It's staggering how much they sell on QVC. So when a brand gets in there, right, they know that they're going to be likely generating a lot of revenue from those segments. With this negotiation, they wanted me to pay me a flat rate, right? This is how much we're going to pay you to host the segment on QVC. We're got to fly you to Philadelphia and do the on-camera training and all that. I went back with my agent and we were trying to negotiate a percentage of sales because we had a projection of how much we thought they were going to sell. And we said, hey, if Jason's going to go through this training, do all this stuff, we want a percentage. They were like, no. Okay. Well, not to get into specifics, but even one or 2% Whitney was like, of all the money they were projected to make, they're like, we're going to give you 0%. And I walked away from the deal because I know for me, if I'm going to go through all of that. I'm going to be on TV, I'm going to go through a week's worth of on-camera training, fly to Philadelphia, all that shit. You're not even going to give me 1% of your net. That's the moment that I think in the past, in my early days of my career, we talk about that whole, a hungry dog is an obedient dog, right? Probably would have said yes to something like this. Because in the early days of my career, I was a very hungry dog. And as we said in a previous episode, saying yes to everything, Well, now I looked at that deal and I basically was like, thank you, but no, thank you. If you're going to pay me just a flat rate fee, I think it was like $5,000. Oh my God, five grand. Yeah. But my 90 minute segment is probably going to make them $500,000 average projection. You're going to give me five grand of 500,000. Like with all due respect, kick rocks. And that's what we're talking about here. It's if you don't establish a framework of your value. You have the propensity to be greatly taken advantage of. I've had it happen to me. I've said yes to shit that in retrospect, I wish I didn't, but you learn through experience, right? The other thing though about this, Whitney, that I want to ping back to you as sort of a counterpoint of this value argument that I've struggled with is sometimes I have felt wit that I've overestimated my value and lost out on deals. There was a recent example of this. There's many examples in sports. Uh, I'm a huge basketball fan. There was a guard for the Los Angeles Lakers. uh, His name is Dennis Schroeder. And halfway through the last season in the NBA, Whitney, they offered him a contract extension. He had already signed a deal. They wanted to extend him for his basketball services. And they offered him four years, $84 million. It's a lot of money. Damn. $84 million for four years of work is a nice payday. Well, he turned it down because he thought his value was higher, right? And I thought, wow, good for him. Well, the end of the season concluded. He. Passed on that midseason deal and ended up finding that his value in the marketplace was not being perceived as he thought it was going to be perceived. And ended up signing, I think, a one year deal for 5.6 million. And you might think, well, that's still a great payday. But the tricky thing with is that I sometimes wonder if I am overestimating my value and passing up opportunities. Cause to use Dennis Schroeder as just one kind of cautionary tale. You think that the guy's got a lot of balls if he turned down $84 million for four years and then ended up signing a one year deal. Do you feel like there have been situations in your life where you, I don't know, feel confused by that? Or do you feel like that's even a thing, overestimating your value? Have you experienced that? And if so, like what emotions have you felt in doing that?
0: Absolutely. I mean, but let me be clear what I mean by that is that I have been turned down for. Pitching myself, quote, too high with the number. But generally, that is about their budget. I don't think there is a way to easily determine someone's value. It's because most people I know make up whatever number they pitch. Now, salary tends to be a little different because there's like a general salary range. But I think even then, that range can, you know, how, where do you fall in that range? How do you determine? It's a lot to do with their budget, right? I've also developed the courage over time and this kind of confidence to pitch myself. And I usually err on the high side because I've learned through a lot of experience that when I pitch myself too low and somebody says yes, I always wonder, well, what would I have done if I had gone on the high side instead? And I have also learned that if someone really wants to work with me, they will negotiate me if they truly cannot pay me what I'm asking for and we will have that conversation. And I've done that plenty of times. So I keep that in mind. And I think that's a common negotiation tactic is like, go high and see if they will accept that. If so, fantastic. If not, hopefully they want you enough to take less. And this is the other thing in the influencer world where sometimes companies will come to me and they'll ask for my rates and I'll give it to them. And sometimes they're just like, sorry, that's too high. And they move on. And I was like, well, clearly you didn't want to work with me. This actually also happened to me earlier today. Someone reached out to me through Facebook. I don't know how this woman found me, but she wanted to know about my offerings. And she told me that she needed some support with fitness and her body and just like working through it. And I explained the type of well-being coaching that I do, but I didn't give her a price because I don't want her to like just pick me because of a price. And so she responded back to me after I spent all this time crafting a kind message to her with just like, well, how much does it cost? And I remember in that moment being like, "Mm." I just had an instinct. I'm like, you know what? This woman is very cost conscious, which is absolutely fine. I get it. But to me, that's usually a signal that they're going to try to lowball me or something. It's not always true. So I'm trying to give her the uh, benefit of the doubt. And I just wrote back and I gave her a few options, like, which one are you interested in? And, you know, I want to try to, like, bring it out. But I got the gist, too, from that conversation that it felt transactional because each of her responses to me was like a one line quick question, like, hey, what are your services? Then I asked, well, what do you need support with? This is it, like just bullet points. And then I was like, okay, well, here's some more details because I'm trying to set expectations and clarify things. And then it's like, well, how much does it cost? And I'm not that interested in a transactional thing because I've also had enough experience to know, and Jason, you too, when you get into transactional partnerships, like if you're someone like us who doesn't like transactional partnerships, it's not worth whatever money they're paying you. And I guess... That's actually just sharing that out loud is helping me clarify that it's easier for me to say no these days because the transactional stuff, even if it's paying well, is generally not worth it because I'm someone that puts my heart and passion into things. I put my whole self into projects. I'm not a superficial person. I'm not somebody who just likes to do things formulaic wise like i'm not a fill in the blanks person i'm write things from scratch like everything that i do i put a lot of time and effort and love into it and i want to work with people who see that about me and value that and want that from me and are willing to pay me for it and luckily i have attracted a lot of those people into my life over many years you know we talked about in our last week's episode about the entrepreneurial journey And it's a long one and it's got ups and downs and it's hard and it's not always like this. But to your point, Jason, that you learn a lot over time and I'm willing to say no. I'm willing to have people turn me down when I tell them what I would like from them because I know that those are not as satisfying. So I suppose going full circle to what inspired this topic today Those experiences that I had recently from brands that rejected me because my numbers weren't high enough for them, it was an indication that I don't want to work with them, especially if they want to just kind of suck the life out of whatever content that I'm going to create for them. And, you know, I could do a whole episode on how messed up I think it is that content creators will do work in exchange for products and not realize that they've given away their usage rights and that these brands, to your point, Jason, very similar to that QVC example, that if you don't read your contracts, you might be giving away a whole lot of value. And if most content creators out there are incredibly valuable, and a brand will send you a $40 blender in this case, which is nothing to them. How much does that cost them? $10 to make? $10 approximately worth that they're giving you because you perceive it as a $40 value, plus they get to take whatever photos or videos you take, that's a hell of a deal for them because if you create a nice piece of content, that's worth thousands to them. They could make so many sales off of a good photo or a good video. And it's like, wow, I actually feel thankful that they said no to me. Because I know my value is much higher than a $40 blender.
1: Yeah, on that note, I think one of the best things we can do is support each other as entrepreneurs and as content creators. And I'm grateful that we have sort of a community of people that we can text or call and have discussions about, what do you think I should charge for X? And there are some people who are very protective and very guarded and won't discuss those things out of fear of not enoughness or fear that you might swoop in and steal their project. There are people over the years that have refused to engage in those kind of discussions with us. But it's nice to know there are people who are very open about it and they see sort of rising tides raise all ships, so to speak. I don't know if that's the correct phrase. I think it is. One of the things that I have talked with friends about over the years is the somatic experience of value. And here's what I want to say as a tip, Whitney, to anyone who's listening and and also to you of something that I do is I've talked to people in our community about, okay, do I create a spreadsheet and sort of annotate these conversations? And this is what Michelle charges for an Instagram post. This is what Tony charges. This is what Whitney charges. This is what Josh charges. You could do that. But I think even more so than data collection and tapping our community, one thing I just love is what I try and do, and I've shared this with other people and we've done it together, is you tap into your body and you say to yourself how will I feel? How do I think I'm going to feel if I say yes to this number? How do I think I'm going to feel if I say yes to giving this much value? And what I've started to do over the years, Whitney, is I think get better at noticing the sensitivity of my body signals. And here's what I mean, right? It's like, okay, they're asking me to do three videos, an appearance, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Would I feel good in my body and my being? if I were to receive 10,000 for this? Yeah, okay. How would I feel if I were to receive like 5,000? That's eh, half, it's not as good. Well, maybe there's a range. Okay, maybe between 10 and five. This is an example of my process, right? Then I know that to your point, if I go in at 10 and that's my high watermark, they may say yes, and I'm going to feel really good about that. But I know that if I go below five, I'm going to feel really bad about saying yes to that. Like my feeling in my body, will be almost as if I have betrayed myself. Like I'm being very specific with that word because there have been times where I've looked back at things I've said yes to, and I felt like it was almost like my conscience or my intuition, however you want to label it, was saying, don't say yes to this number, but the fear overrode that. And then later on, I felt like, oh, I completely betrayed myself. Shit. So I think part of the advantage here, we talk about community and having these open conversations and finding different ways people establish their value. That's one of the biggest things that I love about the community that is people all around the world, not just people from the US, but literally teachers, instructors, leaders, community members on embodyme.live. And I think the benefit is you go in, and you meet other entrepreneurs, you meet other people that are trying to create businesses, services, products that are here to uplift and give something good and uplifting to the world. And having the courage to ask people in the community there, hey, how are you establishing your value? How are you running your business? How do you feel when you are afraid to negotiate something? These are all tips and tools that I think are so important to share with one another. Because you may be in a vacuum of your own world thinking, yeah, I'm doing it right. I'm doing it well. But there's always more to learn. And as cliche as it sounds, we oftentimes learn the most through our perceived failures, our perceived mistakes. So when you get into a group like Embody Me and you meet other entrepreneurs who may be on a different stage of that journey, Whitney, right? They're maybe years ahead of you, years back. There's value in learning from everyone, no matter what stage they're at in the journey. So with that being said, again, dear listener, we want you to take advantage of this offer. It's a seven-day free trial on embodyme.live. Use the code Elevator. You put that code in, you can only get the seven days free, you get 20% off your first month. We love it. We appreciate what Amber has created because again, it's people and instructors from literally all over the world. There are so many people from so many different countries. And I think that's another layer of depth, right? It's not just people with a singular perspective in the West. So we want you to dive in again, embodyme.live, E-M-B-O-D-Y-M-E.live. Use the code Elevator and dive in. Take that seven days, take the classes, experience the community, ask questions, introduce yourself, tell people what you're up to because I think that's one of the best ways, Whitney, that we can anchor in that idea of clarity, of value, feeling good about ourselves and having those boundaries in business because boundaries are not just for personal relationships, Boundaries are also very much for professional relationships too.
0: And I would add that talking through your emotions like we have today is so therapeutic. (laughs) Just getting it out and moving your body in intentional ways, all of those different classes that bring out your feelings so that you can process them, even if it's to yourself. But if you do have the opportunity to chat with other people, it's just like, Oh, it makes a huge difference. And you have realizations. I feel like I had some aha moments today. Like just talking it through, venting is <laughs> is so great. So make sure that you find a way to vent. And I think venting also Can be done through your movement. I mean, when I was doing in person yoga classes, I would often notice this about how much I would process, and I would find like my brain going into all these different places as I was moving my body. Even though I was trying to be really present, (laughs) I felt like I had so many realizations. And I actually haven't taken a yoga class in a bit because I've been doing some different forms of body movement and exercise lately. But just talking about this makes me crave yoga because I love the way that it makes me feel physically and mentally. So thank you for talking this through, Jason. Thanks to the listener for listening. And hopefully you had some realizations of your own or got you thinking about things from a different angle. I mean, that's our big aim here is to just bring up some things. And even if you don't resonate with them, giving you the perspective of what other people are going through is so important. And I want to encourage you to reach out to us. We are an open book, you know, like truly, you can ask us anything. One thing that you can do is on Instagram, you can send us a direct message written or audio. (laughs) So we're talking to you through audio right now. If you want to send us an audio message, we would love to hear from you. We'd love to know what resonated with you from this episode. What are you going through? What questions do you have? And we can point you in different directions to Embody Me, of course, to other resources, other things. We can share our experiences if you want specifics. So we are part of that community. We're here for you. We love hearing from you so much. And we're also available through email and the blog comments and all of that. There's so many ways to reach us. As mentioned, WellEvator.com is the hub. dot com is where this podcast lives, where the links to everything are. So if you forget how to reach Embody Me, you can go on there and find the links very easily. Find the other episodes. And speaking of episodes, we are still experimenting with two episodes a week versus the three that we used to do. So we're just doing Monday and Friday instead of Monday, Wednesday, Friday, like we used to. We'd love your feedback on that. Coming up, we have amazing guests this week. We have another phenomenal one about getting to the core essence of who you are, which ties in really nicely to this episode. So stay tuned, check that out. The lineup is mind-blowing. We have a lot of entrepreneurs, female entrepreneurs, male entrepreneurs, uh, non-binary people. We're trying to expand beyond gender as well and just offer up all sorts of different perspectives on life to make sure that everyone feels represented and understood and understands each other. Thank you for listening. And we'll be back with another episode in just a few days. Bye for now. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to WellEvator.com. That's
1: W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.